Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com people today everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule and of course the cost well better help can solve those problems it's totally online and built around your schedule it's surprisingly affordable too connect with a credentialed therapist by phone video or online chat all from the comfort of your home visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month that's better help h e l p quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now save fifty percent on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power twenty twenty three award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live, from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Learning how to do anything sucks, okay? Mm -hmm. The part where you're learning is awful. Mm -hmm. If you have a kid at home, fortunately for you, your daughter chose to do color guard instead of learn to play an instrument. But can you imagine the hell sure. we must have put our parents through while we were learning to play? When most kids start learning to play an instrument, it sounds like they're sacrificing animals in their bedroom. And yeah, my, my eldest, she started playing trumpet, if I recall, in fifth grade. Yeah. And then I think by seventh grade, she made the switch to clarinet. And then by ninth grade, she decided she didn't like playing instruments. And I didn't put up too much of a fight. Well, <laughs> for the very reasons you stated. <laughs> okay, if you're sure. My parents were just like, this instrument is fucking loud. Why are you practicing all the time? And my right. sister especially hated it because she was just like, you practice all the time. And tubas are not very pleasant to listen to by themselves. No. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what else are you doing? That's your part right there. Oh. Funny yeah. enough, speaking of learning new skills and sucking, I Tim, <laughs> my roommate, has this piano playing app. And I, I remember I went upstairs. And so you get points every time. It, it's the coolest thing. It's like they take on all the triggers, the dopamine triggers from Facebook and apply it yeah. to doing something useful. So yeah. you can play these, like you'll play notes and you'll play chords and stuff. I think it's called Simply Piano or something like that. And I remember sitting down and I was like, Tim, let me just give it one shot. And... 30 minutes later, I was, he's like, when are you giving my piano back? Because it, wow. was, it was super addictive. I was just like, holy crap. But the thing is, you get points each time you try to play something. And it's uh -huh. funny because I realized one thing. So, yeah, there were half notes and whole notes. I nailed all the half notes. And I looked at Tim and was like, oh, my God. I'm like, it makes complete sense as to why I'm struggling with anything that involves more than three or four quarter notes or eighth notes. I was like, I was a tuba player. I never played those. Yeah. Oh, I was a featured soloist where I did have to play some really like complex stuff. Yeah. But the band had to follow me in that case, so I didn't have to work. It, it was perfect. Yep, I could yep. feed my ego. But soloing's always easier. Yeah. yeah. It, ironically, but yeah. So that's the thing, right? Is that part sucks. Same thing on the mountain. Same thing surfing. You take that stupid land lesson, then you get into the water, and the land lesson is useless. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah, there's totally. other surfers. There's moving water. There's rocks. There's all these other variables. I'm like none of this shit was happening on land. I'm like on right. land, it was just like, oh, just move your arms and push yourself up, and boom, you're in a wave. <laughs> and it's like, okay, that sounds simple enough. It doesn't work that way. And same thing on the mountain. You could be, like, the smartest person in the world. Like, I remember trying to explain to my cousin in there. I was like, all right, listen. I'm like, you understand physics, right? He's like, yeah. I was like, okay. Basically, what you're doing is you're going down an incline and you're turning a board in order to control your speed. Because when you make a turn, you create friction. And friction slows you down. And he was like, I was like, does that make sense? He was like, yeah. 
I was like, so get on the mountain, think of it that way. And I realized one thing that just because you understand that intellectually, it doesn't mean your body is going to respond accordingly. Oh, intellectually versus physically being able to do something totally different. Totally different. Yeah, absolutely. That's, and that's the thing about learning anything. What about you? Like, obviously you made it through business. It doesn't seem like there are a lot of parts that suck to gap consulting, unfortunately, based on what you've told me other than growing pains, but gap is doing very well for itself. We don't have, we're not on the verge of bankruptcy. We don't have any massive failures. There are uh, things that I'm constantly tweaking, improving, but that's where we are in our growth as a company. But there were plenty of failures before that. Yeah, no, absolutely. To tie it back to the physical thing, I'm learning hockey now. I'm about six months in, having never ice skated more than maybe twice in my life before. And now I'm on the ice twice a week, taking private lessons, taking group coaching lessons. Like every chance I can get, I get out there because it's so much fun. Okay, so this is great. Like your interpretation. So you just said it's so much fun, and yet you're going through yeah. the part that sucks, which is learning. Well, yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing: if you hate doing something, if there's no, if you can't derive any joy out of the thing, out of the learning process, yeah, then you should like not to be a, not to be a jerk, but like you should probably stop. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Like, there's no question, right? Like, I think that really want to look at that. Funny enough, you know what? We actually have a Greg Hartle clip. Do we, in the do we have a clip for that? We Perfect. do have a clip Let's for go. this. And it's a Greg Hartle clip, which is probably Uh-oh. one of my favorite things. Greg is like Greg is like Yoda, basically. He's like Yoda for business. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go, Greg. Coming from a, a guy who's never seen Star Wars. All right. Take a listen. They were born in a way that they are just going to win no matter what. And so those people are not good models to follow. For the rest of us, what we should be doing is we should be creating a safe environment in which we can be as vulnerable as we need to be to not only hold on to the possible, but to actually increase our chances of the probable. And we don't create those environments for ourselves as a society, as a government, as businesses, as a culture in America. We tend not to create vulnerable environments that allow us to be safe enough, to be exposed enough to actually increase our probabilities. So what we do is we, one, look at all these examples of people that don't need that and we try to live like them. And then we fail and then we experience unnecessary suffering. And then two, we hold on. We can't find the safe places to explore our vulnerabilities and our flaws and the fact that it's not probable for us to be like them. What do you make of that? I think Greg has a lot of insights. Uh, So I would challenge the fact he's talking about people who were destined to succeed and those who weren't. And yet I, my first thought is you were five minutes ago, you were telling me about Greg growing up, having this beat up life, having to overcome all this stuff. And that sounds to me like someone who is destined to succeed no matter what. <laughs> yeah, no, The thing I think that he makes, the reason I brought that clip in was because you mentioned this idea. If you're not enjoying doing something, yeah, the truth is that, you can it's very rare i don't know about you but i've never enjoyed doing something i'm not good at there are people who do just that are exceptional at their jobs and fucking hate their jobs and i'm sorry if that's you but if you're that type of person then you're probably making enough money to make a plan to quit 
and go find yeah. something else. Because truth be told, those people doing that robs the world of their gifts and what they can contribute in my mind. When you spend your life doing something that you hate, even if you're good at it, you fail at something you don't, you succeed at something you don't give a shit about. And in my mind, Carroll put it really well in his book, The Bullet Journal. He said, failure in a life of compromise is far worse than failing at something you actually care about. I'm paraphrasing yeah. there. But that's what I think is the point there is that one, outliers often make terrible role models for success because we're not outliers. Like chances are Gareth and I are not going to start the next SpaceX or whatever it is and or become the next Steve Jobs as much as that would be cool as shit. But that's just reality. And we, we have to acknowledge that as a part of failure and success because the truth is that if you try to exceed limitations that are not possible to exceed. For example, Gareth and I going to the Olympics was the example that we talked about before. Even in right. curling, I doubt we would succeed. Uh, we'd more than likely fail. Although we'd get to be on ice, which you might enjoy. Uh, yeah. See, I have a problem because I really think that I can do anything. And I think this may be something that a lot of entrepreneurs share. And I think this is the part of us that allows us to continually get up after we've gotten the crack kicked out of us by like right. our fourth business. Yep. And we're like, nah, I'm gonna, this one's going to work. Yeah. The eternal optimist. Whereas a normal person, and I'm, I use normal, by the way, not Sweet. favorably. Like yeah. normal, normal just means average. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's positive. Like <laughs> I'm not trying to encourage us to be normal. I think the normal person would be like, dude, you got the crap kicked out of you five times already. You should yeah. probably stop. Look, there's no question about that. And I think that really tees up talking about why businesses fail really nicely. So for those of you who don't know, we had Alberto Savoya, the director of innovation at Google, here as a guest who wrote this amazing book called The Right It. And this is what he had to say about failure. Take a listen. Most failures happen not because people don't work hard, not because they're not passionate, not because they don't execute well, but because the, they're building the wrong product. As I say in the book, make sure you're building the right it before mm -hmm. you build it. A lot of failures are, cannot be attributed to incompetence or lack of desire. It's just people pick the wrong idea. And I saw that in my father and in my experience as an entrepreneur, I kept seeing that many times. In fact, I would say that 80% of engineers and product managers, whatever titles you have in most companies, are working with products that when launched will fail. And of course, I don't like that training because <laughs> our most valuable resource to solve all the problems in the world are entrepreneurs and innovators, inventors, right? They're the ones that are going to come up with a new solution. And yet we, you take this most valuable resource and 80% of the time they're going to fail. Ooh, that's a tough pill to swallow, folks. Yeah, but here's my thinking on that. Let's say he's right. I'm, and maybe he has the research to back it up. I well, don't know. Well, evidence of the fact that he has the research I, I, to back it up. I am. So he's upset that 80% of the time it flops. Um, what you need is that 20%. Yeah. So how do we encourage the 80% failure rate to continue? Because I accept all of the premise, all the premises that he stated in his argument. Yeah. I agree with them. I think the important part is that you allow people to continue so that they can get to the point where they're innovating. Because if I'd given up on step three or four, there would be no gap consulting and there'd be thousands, like tens of thousands of people who are not benefiting from the value that I put in the world today with my company. 
Yeah, look, this takes us to this whole idea of taking micro risks that allow you to get quick feedback oh, so that you can iterate. Micro risks. Bro, I was wondering if you were going to tie this in. I both absolutely love because the truth is that you yeah. know, uh, there's this amazing book. And we have an interview in the archives with the author as well. A guy named Peter Sims wrote a book called Little Bits. That book was by far one of the most – in my top ten for books that I would rate that have helped me build Unmistakable Creative – that mm-hmm. I cite for everything we do. And so the premise of Little Bets, funny enough, is based on the idea of uh, that some of the most successful innovators in the world use to do what they do. And the example that I always come back to, particularly because we're talking to a lot of artists and creators, is Chris Rock. Are you a fan of Chris Rock? I think he's pretty funny. Yeah. I'm not like his biggest fan, but yeah, he's funny. Yeah, yeah. So funny enough, Chris Rock goes out to stand-up nights. Or open mm-hmm. mic nights to test all like, like local, like tiny local little open mic nights. dives. Yeah. So I tell you, so here's the thing, right? If you paid 150 bucks for Chris Rock or whatever the hell it costs to watch him on a national comedy tour, and he got there yeah. and you got there and he wasn't funny, I don't know about you, but I'd be pretty pissed. I'd be like, that was some bullshit. <laughs> you're uh, you're a tough you're a tough guy to please, Rennie. But yeah, yeah, I'd be upset yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look, I doubt Chris Rock would have a hard time making me laugh, but. The thing is that if you're at an open mic night where you're there for free and Chris Rock shows up, you're not going to be like, damn, he wasn't funny. You'll be like, holy shit, Chris Rock is here. Chris Rock showed up and I laughed at three of his jokes. <laughs> and we're like, that wasn't that funny. But the thing is, who are you to bitch that he wasn't that funny? You're not even paying to be here. And that is what you call a low stakes environment where you test something in a low-stakes environment, low-stakes situation, kind of like Gareth did with his $5 ads for YouTube which we talked oh, about yeah. last week. And the thing about testing things in low-stakes situations is that allows you to iterate. That allows you to get feedback. So what a lot of people don't know is that by the time Chris Rock is on a national comedy tour, every joke that he tells has already been tested in front of an audience to make sure that it's actually funny, which is why you can't stop laughing during one of those shows. And yet, here he is, a guy who was arguably a master of his craft not arguably the guy's been in movies the guy's he's a master of his craft chris rock is a master of the craft of and 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 even jerry seinfeld there's apparently a documentary on jerry about jerry seinfeld where he just goes out and goes to open night nights and tests material and the funny thing about that is that when you are testing anything in a low stakes environment it frees you of the pressure to be right to be stellar to wow your audience yeah for example we started this podcast literally because sid savara sends me an email saying okay in fact even before sid savara sent me the email this podcast literally started as a lesson in an online course that i was taking Mm -hmm. it was like conduct an interview to get traffic to your blog and i was like Mm -hmm. great so i emailed one student in the course who funny enough had a blog called the world's strongest librarian he's a librarian with Tourette's syndrome, who's a kettlebell weightlifter. Hmm. And he was my first interview. And That's it's intimidating funny. on a lot of six, levels. Six years later, seven years later, I walk into my literary agent's office and I see a book on her shelf and I'm like, oh my God, this is surreal. That guy was my first guest on the mistake wow. the same literary agent. But he told me at the beginning, he said, don't underestimate what this is going to do for you. I don't know why, why he said that. There's no way he could have known but I just kept going. But the thing is, it literally started as I just recorded an MP3 with somebody, uploaded it to my blog, no microphones, no fancy equipment, nothing. 
phone. Yeah. Like, literally the cheapest equipment you could find, which is why so many podcasters, I think, make the mistake. It's like, I'm going to spend thousands of dollars in, oh. you know, on recording equipment, you know, build this fancy don't I'm like, do Wait, that. you don't have any listeners. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, and what happens if you actually yeah. find out that you hate this or you decide to give up on it? Now you're out thousands of dollars. Yeah, so that's one big small bets, folks. Small bets, small bets, small bets. When you take risk, make failure a lot more manageable because it's inevitable that you're going to experience some sort of failure, some sort of setback, some sort of issue that is going to either make you question your sanity, make other people question your sanity, or like Gareth, make your wife want to stab you in your sleep. In case you didn't listen to the episode, folks, this is not a habitual thing where my wife tries to stab me in my sleep. But it on this particular every, it day, happens. every other night, yeah. What Trini's referencing where, though, whereas, is the fact you know, that... I, for me, it's just the girls I go on dates with who tried to stab me in my sleep. For I don't know which is life. worse. Yeah. I don't know which is worse. Exactly. I think it's, yeah, it's pretty bad. I think what he's referencing is the fact that I got a job offer for 25% more than I'd been making at my previous job that had laid me off. Yeah. And I turned it down. Last week, yeah. Which we talked about last week, yeah. Just in case anybody didn't pick up the last episode. Go back and listen to it, darling. What kind of person wouldn't listen to last week's episode? 17-year-olds. 17-year-olds is who. You gosh darn 17-year-olds. We're coming for you. We just alienated, like, a sliver of your audience who are 17. Sorry, guys. Hey, put some episodes. Make a TikTok and be like, Srini's a dickhead, so is Gareth. There you go. Yeah. And then you'll you'll learn another valuable lesson. There's no such thing as bad publicity. Yeah, exactly. You're 17, TikTok. We don't. You'll just be creating free (laughs) press for us. So get to Yeah. So we're encouraging you to Teach us how to use TikTok by getting us bad PR. Does your daughter know how to use TikTok? Oh, I'm sure she does. Yeah, I don't quite get it. But... Same, bro. Same. No, but whatever. Yeah. We're old. Weren't you going to talk about age? Yes. That's a good point. Look at that. Wow. You're finally... Boom! It's <laughs> not just you who can do that turnaround. Last week around. you were like, that was... There's no segues. This week our segues are just <laughs> happening. <laughs> Even though they... People are like, why the hell are these guys talking about it? Everything that Nobody seems knows. like... This, and somehow we're tying it back together. Yeah. It all has to do with failure, folks. Look, age is another one of those things that is often a huge mm. deterrent for a lot of people that prevents them from doing what they want to do, trying the things they want to try. Look, there are certain things you're not going to be able to do at a, yeah, at past a certain age. And re- this is why I want Gareth to learn how to snowboard because he's only going to get fatter and older and less capable <laughs> of being mobile. And so we have a limited time frame. Gareth can learn how to snowboard. And the truth is that I want Gareth to snowboard for two reasons. One, so that I have somebody to hang out with on on the mountain. But two, so that way he can pass something on to his daughter and do something with his younger daughter, which she'll basically ski and snowboard circles around both of us once we get her. But you don't understand. She's going to get on the ice, though, is the thing. Like, I've already got her ice instructor lined up. And she's like, what? You know what what her next gift is going to be is ski and snowboard Uh, gear. uh, from Uncle Srinny, maybe. Uncle Srinny, just... and then we're going to show... I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to be like, hey, Sophia, now that you're old enough and you have some semblance of logic, I want yeah. you to choose. Which one of these do you think looks more fun and more cool? Here, you get to go and hang out on the mountains and look like a badass. And here, you get to get the shit beat out of you by a bunch of fat guys. What do you Wait, hold on, hold on. Girls mature faster than boys. We all know this because we lived this. Oh, yeah, She's going to be body checking 
kids, like boys her age, and putting them on their butts on the ice and Either loving that, every second or she'll of it. Be basically like, are you in kidding? The, or she'll be riding park launching 360s thanks to her Uncle Srini. Because she's like, <laughs> you know what? I think it looks way cooler on video because she's a kid oh. growing up with the internet. She's like, how am I going to have any good TikTok videos if people just see me body checking boys? Yeah, that's cool. But do you know how much cooler I'm going to look launching 360s in a snow park? A thousand <laughs> times cooler. So, yeah, Whoa. you heard it. We're, we're going to get Gareth tough, from skis, ski mask. Like, I, I just need to start bringing oh. them one by one, like little ski gear. It's like, hey, Sophia, here's your goggles. She's going to be like, and she'll never, what are these for? She won't take them off because she's almost three. Yeah, she's like, these are yeah, cool. cool. I'm like, exactly. They are cool. That's why I got them for you. Now we're done. We started with the very intellectual part. We got our books, but now she's getting physically capable of doing really cool, fun things. Besides, yeah. you should see two-year-olds on skis. They look adorable. Oh, dude. Same. Yeah. Two-year-olds doing anything is pretty adorable. That yeah, is true. But, yeah, Except for getting to turn off the light and throwing a fit. <laughs> yeah, total oh. meltdown because she didn't get to turn off the light the other night. But hey, whatever. Yeah. Here we are. All right. Parenting's I, hard. So one thing that I know many of you have heard me rail against is this whole bullshit idea of following your passion, right? Because the truth is that, yeah, Dan Kennedy had this really great thing about passion when it came to business. He said, this is have to be market driven. He said, I'm passionate about eating pizza, lying in a hammock and betting on horses. He's like, even if passion <laughs> for those things multiplied, nobody would pay me to do them. I mean, what are you passionate about that nobody, well, other than, yeah, hockey, perfect, hockey and snowboarding. <laughs> nobody would pay us go. to do either of those things. Oh my God, people would pay me to not talk about hockey at this point. Or play, either play, <laughs> that or play. So like, yeah. It's, it takes us back to, to what Greg was talking about where probability of that is zero and passion often is actually one of the major causes of failure as ironic and paradoxical as that sounds because right. if you're passionate about something you suck at it doesn't matter how passionate you are at that thing you are going to fail like we keep going yeah. back to the olympics look i love nba basketball I think it's amazing. Like, I don't watch it, ironically, but I think the NBA is like the coolest of all the sports leagues. I love all the... He's wrong, but he thinks that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, Gareth, the hockey player, all you Canadians out there, you know, go have a good time. It's like Robin Williams said, Canada yeah. is like a loft apartment above a really great party. <gasps> I don't know what although, that whole although, although thing is Although maybe Robin boot, Williams, but... if he was still alive, would rethink that now. He'd be like... Canada is yeah. like a great party ab above a terrible loft apartment with just shit going crazy. <laughs> Honestly, these days, like who would who would not want to live in Canada as opposed to the U.S. Given yeah. uh, all the, who knows, I don't want to <laughs> alienate your listeners. We, we but, basically, uh, here comes the emails about us being unpatriotic. We'll be like <laughs> Howard Zinn, who wrote the People's History of the United States, which is the AP yeah. American History book that's been banned in. American I'm just for any of your listeners who are curious, I do have dual citizenship, so there's that. Great. All right. I can be well, patriotic about both, I'm just saying. Yeah, 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 we're patriotic. Come on, let's be real. There are a lot of things, honestly, that we you would not have been as successful as you are if you didn't live in this country. There are a lot of things that make that possible. That's um, totally true. I literally, speaking of failure, I'm reading a book called Why Nations Fail, and it's fascinating. It talks about how political and economic policy actually determine whether it's possible or not for people to fail within a country in a big way. In a really big way. That's you know, we'll, we'll actually talk at some point. We should do an entire episode on systems, both at the personal level and societal level, 
because that's like those are two different episodes. Yeah, yeah. So, we'll do an episode on societal systems. That would be really interesting. Uh, mm. But the thing is that passion often gets in the way because passion makes you emotional. It prevents you from being objective. It causes you to take reckless risks. It causes you to make stupid decisions. And it clouds your judgment because you are so passionate about something that you can't even recognize that you're actually not right. And <laughs> as a result, oh, wow. that fuels your ego. That feeds your ego. I don't know. Mm. You ever met anybody who just can't accept the fact that they're wrong about something or will never admit when they're wrong about something? <laughs> That's, are you asking me about politics right now? Because no, I'm asking me. You can, I have an example of a friend from business school, one of my classmates. I started my first attempt at a business with him. Yeah. I'm, I, let's go to your thing because I can All only right, get so I, one. I had a classmate who honestly would not ever accept the fact that he was wrong. Literally. Could not even come to terms with the idea that he might be wrong. Yeah. I remember we took an economics midterm Econ at Pepperdine is a joke compared to Econ at Berkeley, so I got a perfect score. Not because I'm some genius, but because I had Berkeley, where I got the C minus at Berkeley equals a perfect score at Pepperdine. <laughs> okay. Just, yeah. And it was funny because he then came to me to ask for my help while studying for midterm. And I told him, I was like, this is how you do it, solve this problem. Then he looked at me and he was just like, yeah, but I could do it this way. I, could do it. I was like, look, dude, I'm like, I got a perfect score. <laughs> Which, ironically, that doesn't matter for shit, but it's not, that's not the point we're trying to make here. I was right. like, do it your way. I don't really care because it makes no difference for me. If you want to be wrong, go ahead. What to do? Fine. And, like, I realized it took me a long time. I was like, that guy's ego is going to be his downfall. Because part of being able to cope with failure and learn from it is to, one, accept the fact that you were wrong about something and take yeah. responsibility for mistakes you could have prevented. Own the fact that you fucked up. It's kind of like, all right, ultimately, when you're a business owner, everything that goes wrong is your fault. Ultimately, yeah, you don't get to blame anybody else. You literally have nobody else to blame. Paul Graham <laughs> did this. this yeah. Y Combinator has, this is the other podcast that I've listened to multiple times, where they took Y Combinator's curriculum and they made it all available as a podcast in this class they taught at Stanford. And I go through that once a quarter. For those of you who haven't listened to it, it's called How to Start a Startup. It's invaluable. Uh, it's basically business school for free. It's worth more than my MBA and it's free. But wow, the thing that always stayed with me was something that Paul Graham basically said. He said, basically, if you think about billionaires, right, or people who are running Google or Mark Zuckerberg, he said, every day when... Larry Page wakes up, there's shit that he has to deal with that nobody else can deal with. He's the only person. Not only that, nobody has any sympathy for him because he's a billionaire. True. And that's the reality of this. And that's where passion can get you into trouble because you just don't think objectively. I don't know about you. So I, passion actually causes a lot of cognitive biases, like cognitive biases sure. or, or vice versa. Like cognitive biases actually cause you to do things you're passionate about that you shouldn't actually do. What about you? What You got anything like that that you were like, oh, I'm chasing, other than your businesses? Because I know you weren't passionate about those, but like you and I both followed passions to dead ends. Honestly, I think for me, it would go back to relationships. Yeah. Like when I think about like passions that I should have dropped <laughs> or I should have just like accepted that they weren't going to go a direction. 
You know what I mean? Like, you're talking about people pursuing a passion to their professional detriment. I'm talking about pursuing a passion to your personal detriment, which I think is totally relatable because there are several girls in my past that were not good fits, didn't bring the right things to the table, we were not on the same page, and yet I probably wasted many years spending time with these girls. Yeah. Uh, in relationships or in uh, in dating or what, what assign your random status here. Yeah. No, and uh, yeah, they're, they're go ahead. Sorry. Endeavors. So I'll give you a few, a couple examples. Once I was done with writing audience of one, my, my second book, I didn't have a contract for a third run. And mm-hmm. I spent a year, I hired my wife, not my wife. Fuck. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Wait, did I miss a chapter? Yeah, yeah. What happened here? When is this? Yeah. No wife. Yeah. So, <laughs> I hired my uh, writing coach, Robin's son-in-law, to okay. help me write a book proposal for a new book. And I poured, I kept pouring money into revising this book proposal and all that. And even on the first attempt, my literary agent said, Srini, no go. Like, this is not something Penguin will look at and say, this is something we can't say no to. She's like, you got to come up with an idea we can't say no to. And after, I think, nine months, I finally realized something, and Seth Godin taught me this in our So He's like, stop sending book proposals. This is a clear lesson. So what are you doing? And not only that, the irony of all of that is I forgot the fundamental lesson that was so important was I got my book deal because I didn't – I gave up on the book deal and decided to self-publish. And, uh, and Kingship right. was the person who told me, like, why the hell are you writing book proposals? What actually got you the result before was the fact that you just said to hell with it and self-published, and then suddenly that book took off. I'm like – you're right. My most popular book is ironically my self-published book. That's the one that has sold tens of thousands of copies. But yeah. I think it, it really speaks to the fact that you can be so passionate about an idea that it can blind you to all oh. of the that idea is not going to work. I have a professional example of that, if I may. Yes, please. I'm working on building out a new brand for anybody interested. It's called Built to Scale. That's right. And I'll play with us a little bit. Yeah, Built to Scale's whole idea is I want to teach people how I grew my consulting business. And in full transparency, I haven't put the effort in to it that I should have because everything is going so well with Gap right now. Yeah, and I told you like the numerous flaws with the thought process. Oh, you did? I was like, look, I'm like, the problem is that you have a context that nobody else can recreate. Like that matters. Because I know, I tried. I literally tried. This is actually something to think about. It's a perfect example of applying proven principles in an original context. Even though I did that, so I took Gareth's idea of Gap and for a long time was a, mash, a Notion fan. One of the big things that really allowed Gareth to dominate the market is that he was first. He was one of the few that existed. And you were good, too. And when I tried it with Notion... I mean, there, there were some other folks putting Airtable videos out before me. Yeah. So I wasn't the first, but yeah, you I was early enough. Early. I mean, by the I was time early. I tried to do that with Notion, there were already hundreds of people doing that for Notion. Yeah, there, and, was, there were a lot of players, for yeah. sure. And... It wasn't until Maximize Your Output that I was able to replicate it because now I had a new context. And you got Mem. And right. I stole that context from Nat Aliason who did the same thing for Rome. And I was like, well, if Nat Aliason <laughs> did this for Rome, I'm going to take everything I learned from him about Rome. I'm going to apply it to Mem, which I like better because the user interface is a thousand times cooler uh, and easier to understand. And I'm going to just see if I can create a similar course. And I did. And it's yep. funny because his course was called Effortless Output. Mine is called Maximize Your Output. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. 
thievery. So, there you go. Blatant That's thievery. What you call stealing like an artist is awesome. Stealing like an artist. Yeah. But that, as always, makes a perfect segue to something incredibly important when it comes to thinking about your business ideas. Take a listen. How do entrepreneurs succeed? They need, you need to invest and test also a lot of ideas until you find one that works. But usually what happens, and I know because it happened to me, because it's human nature, you, ha- you try to solve a problem, you come up with an idea, you fall in love with that idea. <laughs> and instead of testing it in the real world, you applied confirmation bias. Love is blind. You assume that your idea works and you decide not to test it and you put all your passion on that one egg. Instead, I tell you, don't fall in love with the idea, right? Fall in love with the space that you want to, uh, to address, with the problem that you want to solve. Fall in love with the problem, flirt with the ideas. In other words, interview and test many ideas and find out the ones that actually give you good feedback. <laughs> it's, the most, it's the most European uh, perspective I've ever heard. Don't fall in love, just flirt. Flirt with entrepreneurship. <laughs> he makes a good point, though. Yeah, no, I, I, in all seriousness, yeah. He's I got mean, a great keep point. Keep in mind, this is a director of innovation at Google who is talking. <laughs> oh, it, I didn't realize that. I was going to ask you, who is that? Uh, yeah, so Albert, the interesting Albert thing Sequoia is... has an amazing book called The Right It, which is all about data-driven mm, decision-making. Love he, it. I mean, hell, like he talked, he's the director of innovation at Google. I mean, he knows he, something. Yeah, he knows something about success. Clearly, but <laughs> no, he made a good point because there was one other thing that you started in between that didn't come up. We we're talking about vape, the vape business. So Gareth actually took a oh, course yeah. from one of our own guests, Matan Griffel, who oh, yeah. created this educational uh, platform. I don't even remember what the educational platform was called, but definitely <laughs> worth checking out. Yeah, I don't remember. It was basically to, to learn skills. So Gareth, of course, being the, the brilliant guy that he is, took the course. <laughs> And instead of building something that was actually of any fucking use, basically <laughs> built this website. And then it was impressive because Gareth didn't know shit about computer programming or web development. And nope. he built a website, but it was basically Yelp for rating vape liquids. Yeah. And maybe there was a market there, but to Alberto's point, he fell in love with an idea, not a problem. Because truth be told, people who vape probably could give two shits about the rating yeah, they because they're just going to go try it and decide for themselves. It's not like a restaurant where enough people go there to say, oh, this right. is worth eating at. It's like this liquid is worth vaping and probably somebody. And not only that, at this point, most of those are built into the sites that sell this crap anyways. And this is why I should have never been in that industry to begin with. Yeah, but he makes. But but this is a really yeah, good your thing. Point. Right? Go ahead. So Sorry. that's one thing that we often this is how passion blinds us because we yeah. try to create products where there's nothing we might be passionate about something that doesn't mean it helps another person. And that is where this whole follow your passion mindset is completely falls apart. Yeah. Because if your passion doesn't solve a problem for somebody else that solve a problem for another person that they're willing to pay for, then you cannot monetize that passion. That is the reality of a business. Every business does. This is so one thing that I noticed is when I look at prescriptive advice, this is a pattern that I just started to observe in myself is I look at three times where I see this thing show up over and over again. I look, I'm like, if this has been, I don't believe there are many universal truths. I don't think there were any actually, but what I look at is this process called triangulation because it makes the advice that you get a lot more accurate where you say, okay, 
one person gave me this advice. Okay, can I find two other sources that have this same advice? And this is the one, when it comes to business, I've come across over and over again, is the idea that you don't build a product, you solve a problem. That's so powerful. I just had a private coaching call today where someone was asking me about how she builds her own consulting practice. And I told her, you have to talk to people. You have to find out what their pain is first. And it's one of those things that everyone wants to skip, right? Everybody wants to just get to the part where they build the thing that they think everybody wants. They build the course, they build the whatever. And I said, no, before you do any of that, you have to find out what the pain of your target markets. You have a target market in mind. Cool. How, where are they hurting and are they willing to pay for relief? Yeah. Because if the answer to either of those is either I'm not hurting or it's not a big enough pain, but the most important question, no, I'm not willing to pay for it, then you don't have a business. It's done. Stop. Yeah. Pivot. Do something else. Yeah. That, that's the thing, right? Is that I think any business from start to finish goes through multiple pivots, multiple changes. 100%. And the key thing here is looking at what is working. I think what's important is to expose yourself to small failures that don't completely demolish you. My, my mm. litmus test is a bit extreme, but I'm like, if it doesn't lead to jail, bankruptcy, or <laughs> death, it's probably not as big a deal as you think it is. <laughs> I think between th those are pretty flexible boundaries. Look, everybody's going to have some variation, you know, some degree of risk tolerance. You're talking about failure then. Yeah. Is it a big deal to fail? No. Like even Unless it leads to... Like, do you know how many billionaire... Shit, the president, the former president of this country has been bankrupt multiple times. Not that's a yeah. good example of how to fail, but... Apparently nobody cares either. Yeah, I, you can fail that often and you can find yourself in the White House if there's anything you learn. Yeah, and you're still idolized by yeah. half of the nation, so exactly. good on you. Yeah. Well, honestly, as, as we like to joke, politics aside, there is a valuable lesson there. <laughs> In that, is there? No, there is. It's like, okay, here's a guy who's willing to say, you know what? These failures have so little impact on who I am as a person. I'm willing to go and run for president. And not only that, here's the best part. This is the part that most people miss. This maybe is the lesson: is that most <laughs> people don't lesson. even know if you fail. They could give two shits if you fail. Not ah. the president of the United States. The only reason yes. his failures are public is because he became... Uh, because he wants Otherwise, to be nobody would know that he'd fail. People would still be thinking, oh, this guy is a businessman who I want to be like. My dad used to well, say to me when I was young, he's like, you should have been born in Donald Trump's family with your tastes. I think he's, <laughs> he doesn't say that anymore. But Yeah, hopefully he doesn't say that anymore. Uh, this is one of my favorite sayings about failure, right? Whenever you try something new, as Srini was talking about earlier, you have to accept the fact that you're not going to be doing well from the beginning. And... A good mentor and friend of mine, colleague of mine, says you have to get past the suck. You have to get past the point where you are. it's not going to be good. And you have to accept the fact that it's not going to be good when you try something new. The end. Get over it. You're not that important. Yep. You're a single individual in a sea of humanity. Like, you're not that important. So allow yourself to fail. No one's going to care when you do. I'll tell you guys... Yeah, today I run a business that does over a million a year in revenue and it's growing and I'm super happy. But when it started, the first YouTube video I ever put out, it was 
terrible. It brings tears to my eyes to watch it. Yeah. But if I'd never made that, then I wouldn't be making the videos I make today. I wouldn't have the three, four years experience under my belt to make semi-decent videos or uh, tolerable videos, depending on how good you think they are. Well, let's be <laughs> you real. have to start somewhere. Airtable videos are not exactly the most entertaining things in the world, but they're useful. <laughs> they're not. Yeah. They're certainly not entertaining. And, and that, that's another thing entirely, right? If I was trying to make a different type of video, cat compilations, I'd suck at it. I don't know what the I don't know what the process is for that. I don't have a process for that. Yeah, process it, for making other videos. It hits on the fact that problems are not problems, but they're opportunities more often than not. The funny yeah. thing is, look at the biggest businesses in the world are often solving the biggest problems. Naveen Jain, who's a billionaire, he said, he's like, you want to so make a, build a billion-dollar business, solve a billion-dollar problem. And he's like, you know, fix education. Give people a way to get food on the planet. Honestly, the closest thing to a billion-dollar idea I ever received, and to this day I regret not allowing this person to attend our event for free, I had somebody who wrote in and had an idea for a nonprofit where she wanted to connect the elderly with single parents to assist them. And I thought to myself, that is a genius idea. That is an idea that has legs because it solves a massive problem. She's like, these are elderly people who have wisdom, who have skills, who have experience, and they can help parents, young parents who don't have any of those things. And I thought to myself, this is an idea we should have said yes to even if this person got to attend for free. But that's the nature mm -hmm. of a business. Like that would cause problems and potential failures that we couldn't have anticipated. And that's the, the reality. I've seen projects to the point where I should have abandoned them. And that is really about ultimately loss aversion. We often stick with something too long because we think, oh, I've done this for so long, I should just stick with it. And sometimes it just makes sense to call it quits. Like you need to know when it doesn't make sense to continue with something. Like Gareth realizing that nobody gives a shit about reviews for vape liquids. Or Yelp, <laughs> Yelp for vape, li vape nic liquid nicotine. Not a billion dollar idea, not a problem that it doesn't really solve much of a problem for anybody. But yeah, when we thought about this episode, I think that it came up organically. And part of the reason it's probably the longest of all the episodes we've done is one, we stopped for a couple of breaks for wine. I had to put that out there because as we mentioned at the beginning, the unmistakable creativity hour is not substance free. On a totally unrelated side note, I ended up living in a quote-unquote, substance-free dorm at Berkeley, which is an oxymoron in and of itself. That's absurd. They have substance-free dorms at Berkeley? <laughs> I don't know how I ended up in there of all places. Probably good that I did, <laughs> seeing as the fact that I failed miserably as a student. Was um, it actually adhered to? I ran a bar from under my bed. No. I was literally the freshman bootlegger for Berkeley. So I have... It's, uh, what was that? There's some oh. movie where... Maybe it was Beverly Hills Cop. Where Eddie Murphy's like, he's like, I've fractured an occasional law or two on occasion. Wow. One, maybe three, maybe four, maybe five. I, any law enforcement people listening to this, I promise I didn't do anything that would cause any serious harm to society. Uh, and at this point, you couldn't prove it anyways. But yeah, I could just based on the fact that I said it. But no, I had a, I had a older floor mate who had a truck. And when I got my financial aid money, good example of stupid decisions that you'll regret, I had a lot left over and I thought to myself, you know what, I need a stash of booze in the substance free dorm. So I went and I got a crate, one of those like treasure chest type things. I also, as a bartender, you'll appreciate this, I looked at all the different types of drinks that bartenders make at bars 
And I pretty much had the equivalent of a full bar under my wow. in college. At my freshman year in college. And then my floor mates, talking about a failure here, decided to write a birthday card, making all sorts of jokes about the fact that I drink as much as I do. My mom found that card. And you know what I told her? I was like, they made all those jokes because I don't drink. <laughs> and did she believe it? She did. You know what? She like, did, that, didn't it, she? It, I think she bought it enough to let me off the hook. I'm pretty sure she knew I was full of shit. Yeah. That's a, if my, listen, that's if my daughter parents, goes parents, off to college and she doesn't make some stupid mistakes. Yeah, yeah trust me. Like, we'll, you, we'll wrap this up with one final failure, which was my <laughs> attempt to get my parents stoned. Look, here's the thing. We talked about the fact that this was not a substance-free episode. Like, Joe Rogan smoked weed with Elon Musk. Come on, we're just drinking wine. Yeah. Yeah, among others. I don't think Dr. Rao wants to be dragged through the mud, but we're going to take him anyways. He's actually going to... No, actually, he won't be left out of this, but... No, okay, so here's what happened. So, my mom had surgery, and... Yeah, you want to talk about another failure, which is the healthcare system. She was uh-huh. complaining that the medication she was taking was causing like nausea, it was like like making her blood or whatever. And I looked at her, I was like, "You know, help with that." And she's and she says, "What? It's medical marijuana." A little sig of weed. And then she told me, she was like, "Do you smoke marijuana?" Is that what she yeah, like, yes, I do. No, I looked at her and I said, I went to Berkeley. What do you think? She's like, we're not idiots. We're your parents. We've found your drug paraphernalia before. That's called failure to cover your tracks, folks, for you 17-year-olds out there. You know, <laughs> That's your story. No. So anyways, this is a true story. I had like, got one of those nice wooden hand-carved boxes from India. My mom was like, do you need anything from India to visit? I was like, yeah, can you bring one of those like nice hand-carved jewelry boxes? For my drug paraphernalia. Pretty much. All that was in mine was a bunch of weed. And literally, I came home and I was like, I was gone on a trip. And I came back and I'm like, oh, shit. They had the car cleaned and they found this because it was Uh-oh. left under the seat. Again, 17-year-olds, cover your tracks. That's what we're trying to teach you here. This is how you don't fail with your parents is by covering your tracks when you do something that they would not approve of. And I was well over 17 at this point. Mm-hmm. So they find translation. Home. He was thirty-four. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> what we're trying to tell you is learn these lessons before we did. That is the point. That is why we're picking on you so much, you seventeen-year-olds. Don't be idiots oh, like us. Like we're literally trying to actually help you. You will thank us fifteen years from now. You'll <laughs> these, avoid... guys, these guys aren't going to watch anymore. They're, they're not listening. They're You'll like avoid no, no, no. conflicts with your parents. Trust me, seventeen-year-olds. This is going to be the best advice you ever get. Maybe that's what we should. Tell we you. lost them at we don't know how to TikTok. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's where they tuned totally. out. They're like, "What? You All can't right. TikTok." So Boomers. here's the thing. So that was an epic failure on numerous <laughs> levels. My mom basically told me she's like, "Okay, she saw the rolling papers." And I basically lied and said those are for cigarettes. And you know what she told me? She said, if you're going to smoke, smoke filtered cigarettes. Don't roll your own. They're bad for you. <laughs> she left it at that. That's not wrong. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, when she brought up that whole medicine thing, I said, medical marijuana would help. And she was like, we're not idiots. We're your parents. And so I convinced my parents that getting stoned would be a good idea. All right. Cool. And I thought this would be a lot of fun. My sister was mad because she had to work 
and she couldn't be there for this. <laughs> and she wanted to be there. Okay, I was going to say, like, why is your sister so, mad? Of course, my parents didn't like the idea of smoking, so I gave them edibles. Okay. And for those of you who have taken edibles, edibles can be very potent. And I remember getting Did you edibles. overdose your parents on edibles? Yes. Really? Yes. That's, so what? I told you, it ties perfectly to wrapping up this episode on failure. It was a massive failure. because They're brand new to this. So, you give them like a tiny half no. a gummy. So look, uh, there was these square gummies. And when I went to the dispensary, oh. the guy said, cut them into fourths. You say, you take a fourth of those, you'll be fine. And I took yeah. a fourth of one, and I was like, this stuff is amazing. I was watching the TV show Parenthood, and I nearly started crying. I'm like, this is by far. <laughs> Wait, so, that's not normal? Because I do that sober. Yay! Parenthood is <laughs> one of those shows that brings you to tears. It's a beautiful show. Yeah, like shows like that. It is. Really, uh, it is. That, that, you, you, that actually gives an idea for an episode and making your content resonate emotionally. That's what Parenthood does. Brian Grazer and Ron Howard are geniuses. Preach. They do that with every show. They bring you to tears. But anyways, yep. I was watching this scene where the, one of the characters tells the rest of the family she has cancer. And I'm like sitting uh. here crying. And I'm like, wow, this is some really good weed. So when my parents didn't want to smoke, I was like, all right, cool. Here's the deal. A couple of parameters. Make sure that we have enough food on hand. Yeah. My mom's like, we got plenty of food. I was like, it's true. It's an Indian household. I'm like, trust me, we're going to need more food than you guys think. So everybody takes <laughs> these edibles and uh, a quarter gummy okay and an hour later you don't mind you've been to my house when there's family there it's just oh yeah perpetual chaos nobody goes yeah. upstairs or does anything suddenly i look around it's me and my cousin and her husband my parents went upstairs while we have guests that's uh -oh. weird yeah so i go upstairs thinking oh maybe they're upstairs having a good time because they got stoned more power to them if they did that and then i go into the bedroom and my mom looks at me she's like sick having thrown up oh she's just like please don't do this I was like, you really think i would do this if this was the outcome yeah you know, clearly unlike last week's lesson on hangovers we this is a lesson i learned early on where i was like yeah why would i do that to myself that's how it ended my dad yeah looks at me i was like you okay dad he's like yeah He's like, I got a little sick, but he's like, I'm fine. He's like, you're right. I'm really hungry. Go downstairs and get me some apple pie and ice cream. <laughs> so the lesson, folks, here is don't overdose your parents because that usually will lead to failure. Wow. That was scary, bro. I didn't think you were going to go there. I didn't know your parents had such a They're fine. Nobody died. Yeah, they're fine. And the next day, one of my friends came over and was like, you're an idiot. You gave your parents the same dose that you normally take that is a fair point like you're a veteran at this like, point that was a failure, Should have a cut failure. It in half. that was a failure of judgment on my part yeah cut it in half poor guys and now that yeah that was like a that was a one opportunity right like i know if that had been a good opportunity down like they would have been like literally That's what I'm how great it would be to have all that oh, indian food and to be able to just be stoned all the time you guys don't understand you go over to the Rao family and you get some good Indian food. It's like, it's life-changing. All right. Imagine if your mom, like, tripled every recipe because she was baked every time. <laughs> I'm about it. Let's make it happen. Let's well, go. You, you wanna, this actually is a perfect way to tie this full circle. Okay? Amazingly enough, my mom's cooking is a perfect example of learning from failure. <laughs> it is. Okay. I made a documentary and... 
everyone oh. in my the women in my family are all amazing cooks. Like, this is just an Indian thing, I think. I don't know what it is. And the funny thing is, none of them learn from mothers. They're just inherently in love with cooking. Food is a big deal. Like we don't have recreational activities; we just eat. Yeah, <laughs> it has its pros and cons. Pros but and cons. I remember asking my mom. I asked my mom, and for those of you who want to see the documentary, it's called Zero Recipes. Just do a search on YouTube for Zero Recipes, Srini. But I made this documentary uh, when I got the iPhone. Another example of things that I didn't know how to do, just learned by trying. And one of the things I asked my mom was, tell me about the first meal that you ever made for my dad. <laughs> she made this South Indian stuff called upma, which is crap. Personally, I think most South Indian food sucks, which I'm sure I've offended all the South Indians. But I'm South Indian, so I can say that. Honestly, there's these things called idlis, which are steamed rice cakes, which are the worst contribution that Indians have made to the history of food. And now that I've wow. alienated the wow. entire state of Tamil Nadu, I'm sorry, but at least suck. Uh, anyway, so my mom makes this stuff called upma, and she forgot. She didn't read the package. So the package, the thing already had salt in it, so she added oh. additional salt. And so Yikes. my dad ended okay. up eating it, and it was, like, super salty. Keep in mind, this is a woman who can cook, who can rival, like, a Michelin chef, probably, in terms of... I've eaten skills. I've eaten her food, yeah. Yeah, she There's literally no can She's rival amazing. a Michelin chef. But Today? This is, this is how it started. This that, is the genesis? Was that literally her first meal? Yeah, the first meal she made for my dad was oh, basically okay, okay. overdosed with salt. Like, just way too much salt. Oh, my gosh. And Mama, who was also an incredible cook, my cousin... Yeah. When she first came here, for some reason, somebody didn't label containers, and she accidentally replaced sugar with salt when oh. it was supposed to be one of them, and her husband just ate it. And she's another person who's like an amazing cook, and she's a person who experiments constantly and tries new things. And that ultimately is what this is about. Because when you try something new, the possibility that you will fail is inevitable. When you learn something new, you're going to suck at it. You're not going to be good at it. And until you can come to terms with that and accept the fact that in the real world, there are no right answers and 17-year-olds, especially 17-year-old valedictorians, <laughs> have no idea what the hell they're talking about. You darn kids! You cannot learn from your failures. <laughs> Gareth, anything else to add here? Bro, we've exhausted these poor people. I know. Let's wrap. Particularly the 17-year-olds, I'm sure... If 17-year-olds has the attention span to get through these two hours, kudos to you. You're well ahead of 90% of I feel like we made this episode in spite of my daughter. She's, she's going to Google me and be like, yeah, no, my dad's a jerk. I'm going to college for sure. Yeah, I'm going to college and I'm smarter than my dad, which she might be. Oh, yeah. More power to her. I welcome her to prove it. Bring yeah. it on. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, <laughs> this, I realize, has been unusually long. We don't normally do episodes this long, but this is a broad subject, and we had a lot to talk about. Learning how to fail is critically important if you want to be successful. In fact, maybe that's the title of the episode, why learning how to fail is critical to your success. Because if you learn how to fail, then you're probably a lot less likely to fuck things up when you succeed. What did a we help way people to know how, though? Did we help people know how? Or does this need to be another episode? How to recover from failure? No. Look, we've given you a wide <laughs> range of things. No. You know why I don't want to do a how-to? I'll tell you why. Yeah. For the very reason we talked about. 
I could tell you everything you want to know about how to be failure, how to fail and learn from your failures, which we've tried to do. But you're going to come back to this with lessons that neither Gareth and I know or have experienced because every situation is unique. And you can listen to this all you want. You can play it 300 times. And guess mm -hmm. what? You're still possibly going to end up starting a lemonade stand that ends up becoming a distribution arm for a cocaine cartel. <laughs> for Fidel Castro. Oh, no. <laughs> was it Pedro? Pablo Shoot, Escobar. who's the Narcos guy? Shoot. All right, Pablo that's Escobar. who I meant. Who's that guy? Dead, unfortunately. But fortunately, but yes. Wow. That is the point, is that is you brutal. can plan everything and have the most perfect plan and do everything that you can to avoid a failure, but you could still end up with a lemonade stand that becomes a yep. distribution arm for a cocaine cartel. I didn't think there was a more perfect way to wrap the show. What about you, Gareth? Oh, God, we need to end it. End it. End it. All right. Don't sell drugs, folks. We, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you will. That's the boundary. That is the boundary right there. Bankruptcy, jail, or death. Other than that, you have a lot of room to, to play. I think those are pretty loose restrictions. So go out and try things. And by the way, for those of you who are 17, guess what? There's no better time to fail. Because you have absolutely nothing to lose. Your parents are covering your rent, putting a meal on the table. They're taking care of all the stupid things you do, just like Gareth and I did. And for all you parents out there, we're sorry that we're encouraging your kids to go out and do stupid things. But better You'll they be do thankful it, in the long run. Better they do it now when you can clean up yeah. the mess they make rather than when they're 20-something and you have to go and get them out from behind bars. That's no good. Woo. So we will wrap the show with that and... Let us know what you thought of this episode. As always, if you're new, click subscribe. By the way, all the clips that you just heard came from interviews that are in our archives. Go back and look for them. We'll be sure to include links in the show notes. But there's a lot of things you can learn from failure. The most important thing is that you learn something from whatever failures you experience in this life. Because learning from your failures is the key to succeeding at everything. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.